how are we doing, everybody? Yeah? Good. Kind of okay. All right. So I have, I have something in just a second. I think it'll help wake us up. So it's okay that that was maybe a slightly slackluster. Good. We'll work on that. We can strengthen it up. Okay. So last week, we started into a new group of books. Anybody remember where we started into? Hosea, which means we entered into what grouping? Minor prophets. You got, oh, here we go. Now we're, now we're getting there. All right. Great. So here's a funny thing that may be happening throughout the morning. We may be losing some titles. You can just adjust your vision appropriately. The information I promise you is right here. Maybe not sure why it's not actually showing up, but we can get through it. I don't think, yeah, we'll be okay. So here we go. Minor prophets. And so something in particular to look at is when we started this, this being our big biblical review, right? We said that we wanted to do this for the purpose of what? Does anybody remember what our purpose of going through? You guys are on it on the question, so I'm going to keep going, see what we got. No? All right, yes. Yeah, yeah, awesome, cool. Improve biblical literacy. So that's our purpose of doing this as we, as we go through a book every Sunday. And one of the things that we kicked this series off with was looking at this awesome, fun little data grab right here. This is the frequency that people read the books. And I had a little more time today than to talk about this last week. But these are the minor prophets right here. Do you see how, like, that black, which is, like, never have read, there's a high concentration of spike right there. Don't worry. This one right here, that's Jonah. What happens in there? What happens, what happens in Jonah? He gets swallowed. All right, somebody gets swallowed, yeah. So I, I'm assuming that's a big draw for that one. But, but by and large, there's like a big uh, mystery box, apparently, around the Minor Prophets. So particular importance, maybe that we, we work through those and pay a little bit more attention. Now, this one, which is a bit small here, so that's okay. Go to your note sheets here for me. So this gives you the average reading time. Now, we just know from that previous slide that these are like not commonly read books. Maybe it's because they're huge. Maybe they're massive and exhausting, and that's why they're so difficult. So if we look down here on the average reading time, they're, they're not that big. So I have this new alarm that I got a couple of months ago. I don't know. And what it does is to make sure that I'm awake, it makes me do math. So we're going to do some quick math, and we just had our full ramp in of school. So we've got a full column here of numbers, and I want to see who can give me the total. So if you look at your note sheet, there's a total on the bottom. So if I wanted to read through all of the books of the Minor Prophets, how long might that take me? Do, 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 do. Who's cheating? Come on, somebody got something? 176! Oh, it's a... All right, 176 minutes for the Minor Prophets. A plus, good job, guys. So it's not really that it's a function of that long. Maybe we just aren't really sure of what the content is, which again is thus a great point of why we're going through and studying these Minor Prophets. Oh, and I went too far, I'm sorry. So now I'm going to get my... So up on the welcome table, right, one of our resources that we have for you guys, this one's upside down, but now it's not. So one of the resources that we have for you guys is this Kings and Prophets reference sheet, right? And so we're looking at, we're in the time of the divided kingdom, and this breaks through where 
these prophets are speaking and prophesying into Israel. And right here in the blue, we have the southern kingdom of Judah, and we're looking at Joel today. So that's where we're, as a time point, and we're weaving in the minor prophets and the major prophets and First Kings and Second Kings and Chronicles, right? All of these kind of flow at the end of the Old Testament together, and it's helpful just every once in a while that we reference where we're at chronologically, because that's helpful to know. In a second, we're going to need to know what's going on with Israel, and so we'll get there. All right, so let's jump into Joel. A little bit about Joel. It's an interesting one. Not completely sure. There's no identifiable information to pinpoint the exact time at which it was written, but they can, they have looked at the, looking at the text, you can understand that it was during the reign, I just pulled the chart out, I should put it away a little soon. It's during the reign of Joash, where that gives us about 835 BC for the time point. So can't exactly identify. Some of the other books are says during the second year of this guy's reign and this. So we don't have that exact identifiable information. So approximately 835, and we know that because there's, there's reference to impending invasions that haven't happened yet, but events that have happened already, right? So that gives us like the window and settles that down in that 835 range. Now the audience is indeed Israel, and the theme here is the introduction of the day of the Lord, and that's something that we are going to look at and use as our like reference point as we walk through Joel, which by the way is only three chapters. So we're going to walk through Joel and look at and understand what this day of the Lord that's being introduced really is, and take a couple of different types to look at it. Now, as we look at it, there's a bunch of awesome little people in the audience. I want you guys to pay particular attention, if you can today, because there's a couple call-outs to you guys. And there's times in here where Joel goes, hey, God's asking for us all to do something. And guess what? All means everybody. And he lists out like the elders and the people and the kids and the infants so when we go through those, won't you guys like perk up and maybe answer some questions or something like that? But it's really neat to watch Joel be like, hey, everyone needs to be included and everyone needs to learn some of these things. So it's awesome and I'm glad to have you guys up here today. All right, so the first thing that we're going to look at, if we flip now to the second page of our note sheets, we're going to look at the first day of the Lord reference in Joel. It's going to be the current day of the Lord. So these all have time points associated with them. And what this means and what's going on is that Joel is, is going to speak to something that's happening kind of with immediacy or currently going on. So we're going to jump right in here to Joel 1.15. That's the first reference and says this is, it's kind of the close of the section, but it's talking about, hey, this is the current day of the Lord. And so let's get here in. So if you turn to Joel... And we're going to go look at Joel. <laughs> Listen to this, guys. We're going to start in verse 3, right there. It says, tell your children, children, we're telling you, tell the children of it and let your children tell their children and their children tell their children. So we're three generations deep now. So what Joel is trying to do is saying, hey, something big is happening here. Let's not just pay attention. Let's write it down and let's tell of it and its importance so that it it doesn't just happen and we forget about it. We can learn from it. So that's what Joel is saying here because that's how, if we look back and understand how the Hebrews really passed knowledge and information, right? It was through, we've seen this many times in the Old Testament. It's how they tell this generation and inform this generation, make sure that they tell the next generation. 
What are they telling them about? What the cutting locusts have left, the swarming locusts have eaten. What the swarming locusts have left, the hopping locusts have eaten. What the hopping locusts has left, the destroying locusts has eaten. There's a lot of locusts. That's what they're telling them about. There is a plague of locusts going on in the days that Joel is starting out his ministry in. And it is really incredibly affecting the land. And so much so that if we keep reading here, it says, For the nation has come up against a land, powerful and mighty beyond number. Its teeth are like lion's teeth, and its fangs are like lionesses. It has laid waste of my vine and splintered the fig tree. It stripped their bark down and thrown them down, and the branches are made white. So, I don't know uh, how many of us, or how many of you guys, have really, like, experienced a plague of locusts. Okay, so... One of the things we did last week when we studied Hosea was we looked at something, God provided an awesome example of something that we could conceptually understand, and then he moved it and used it to address something that is harder to understand. That's still what he's doing this week when we look at Joel. So maybe we don't have the context, we, now that we're trying to understand this, but the Israelites, it was right there for them because they were just going through this, right? So he's building this context and this reference, this plague of locusts. How many people remember, two summers ago was it? Two summers ago when we had the cicadas everywhere, right? So close, close. But watch what happens. So I wanted to show you guys. I'm like, I like, I like generally when I, when I teach with you guys and I get to do demonstrations. So there's nothing better than a live demonstration, right? So what I have here in a box that went, oh, it's upside down. Oh, that's bad. Hold on. Let me get this open right. Okay. All right. Do you guys want to come up for another like kids show and tell? Let me just, so I have some low, I'm just kidding. There's no, yeah, I figured you'd be right here. Yeah. All right. So I did not bring in a live demonstration of locusts, but I do have a video just so that, because it, it was wild just to do some research on this and understand like locusts. Yeah. Okay. It's bad. It's, it sounds terrible. It is phenomenal. So ooh, we have the video, but no sound. Okay. We, we were thinking that might happen. Okay. He's talking about locusts. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to narrate for you. He's talking about locusts. Okay. That's the area that the locusts are currently covering. I will continue to narrate for you. These are the affected countries. This is the areas that they're basically, what he's laying out is that not only are there like one or two locusts here, but they're decimating the crops. And there's like 100% devastation of these swarms. And there you go. That's a swarm. So the bark is white because there's just locusts everywhere. So this, like, this is the context, right? This is the army that is currently upon Israel. And they're talking about some, some of the ways that these folks are trying to just get rid of them. And there's really, like, it works for a little bit, and then they just land back and that sort of thing. And, and so this guy is, is introducing the fact that they are starting to face, they had been having a tough time because it's amazing. Locusts have this terrible culminating effect. So these swarms really happen a lot when there's first, there's been a drought, right? So crops aren't doing great. And then all of a sudden what happens is the locusts in some form are always there, but they grow exponentially like this when there's been a drought and then flooding. So then you have a drought, flooding, and locusts. So any vegetation that's there is eaten by the locusts, and your, and your, your lands are swamped out, and it's just really bad. So one of the modern things they can do is spray, but they're still, some of the, some of the overarching verbiage here is, and he, this guy is actually talking about how We've been given this stuff by the government, and it's, it's mainly only trying to help, but it's just doing a little bit. We're still facing, he's talking about how, how hungry they are, and they're still working hard, and their livestock are suffering. 
because not only do they not have food, but their livestock don't have food. All right, so hopefully that was that, that like that tangent was helpful to give you guys some context of just how devastating these locusts are. So the full effect of them, when we look at our note sheets and back up on the slide, when we look at it, it says the grain offering and the drink offering are cut off because much like in that video that I just narrated for you, was the fact that not only do they not have food, their livestock doesn't have food, the Israelites don't even have anything that they can offer. And that's the full effect of what's been going on. So Joel is in the middle of this, and he now, he says, can you, can you guys do this for me? Let's look at, my references are cut off now. No, okay, we're just going to roll with it. Okay, all right, let's keep going here in, and we're going to look at our note sheets, and we're looking at Joel. We're going to 14, 1.14. Okay, 114. It says, consecrate a fast. This is Joel's instruction now. So it says, Israel, here's, I understand everything that's going on. Here's what we can do. Consecrate a fast. Call a solemn assembly. Gather the elders and all the inhabitants of the land to the house of the Lord your God and cry out to the Lord. Alas, for the day, for the day of the Lord is near and the destruction from the Almighty as it comes. And so, Joel's instruction to now, where, where in there, if we're looking at 114, it says all the inhabitants of the land. That's, that's who he's calling to, to go through this fast and crying out to the Lord. So he's not just saying, I'm going to do this. He's not even, there's a specific call out to the elders. But he's, he's, I want us to be very careful to understand this. He's not just saying all of the Israelites. He's saying all the inhabitants of the land, right? That's what he's asking for. So he's kind of starting to open up the aperture because who else is in the land, right? Who has Israel not done a great job of just allowing to still be, right? So it's not just Israel that's in the land. There are still native folks there that Israel failed to conquer that they are putting. So Joel is trying to stir everyone up and says all of the inhabitants of the land should be crying out to the Lord. And in a little bit, we're going to see the response, which is restoration, but we'll see in a little bit what it is. But we're actually going to go, so Israel goes through this, and then they look forward at something that is to come. And so this where Joel speaks some prophetic forward-looking. So he's talking about the current events, and then he goes from current events, and he goes into what is imminent, what is coming, right? So that's the next section that we're going to cover, is the imminent day of the Lord. So now we're moving into chapter 2, so turn with me to chapter 2, and we still, oh, it looks like it's getting better. Okay. So in chapter 2, the very first verse here, it says, Blow the trumpet in Zion, sound the alarm on the holy mountain, let all the inhabitants of the land tremble, for the day of the Lord is coming, it is near. So Joel is announcing, okay, that was judgment that was brought upon, and there's another one coming. This is why it's, it's imminent. It's coming. It is near. Well, what does this one look like? Right? So what does the second one look like? We can just keep reading. It says, In a day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and thick darkness, like blackness there is spread upon the mountains, a great and powerful people. Their like has never been seen before, nor will be again, through the years and all the generation, for fire devours them. So he's describing here, now not an army of locusts, but now, as, as the description keeps going, 
Now he's saying, like warriors, they charge, and soldiers, they scale the wall. They march each on his way, and they do not swerve from their paths. They do not jostle from one another. Each marches on its own path, and they brush their weapons. They are not halted. So now, what Joel is talking through and informing them about is a mighty army is coming, or is going to come. And he says, hey, if you thought the locust was bad, just wait. Because this now, this isn't some amiable moving swarm of insects. This is an organized marching army, like a power that has never been seen before. Make a little note on that, because here's where, where do you guys think, especially kids on this one, where do you guys think an army gets its power from? So this, it's weapons? Yeah, okay. All right, where else could, yeah, go ahead. Strength? Yeah, yeah, yeah. In, maybe in numbers? right? We're going to see in a second here that this army gets their power from someone else. Now, this is an invading army. Let's make note of that. This isn't the army of the Israelites. The Lord utters before his army, so the Lord, this is his army, for his camp is exceedingly great. He executes his word. He who executes his word is powerful. For the day of the Lord is is great and very awesome. Who can endure it? So now there's another reference to the day of the Lord so that we understand which one that we are in. But where does the power from this army come from? It's confusing, but go ahead. Somebody get, get there. Where does this power come from? Yeah, this is, this is the Lord's army. They're executing his word. So this is referencing the impending judgment that the, the nations of the world now, as, as we look at and look forward to what's going to come up and befall upon Israel, all of the many nations. So we're talking about now Assyria, and we talk sometimes and swinging up from the south is Egypt, right? And then we have Babylon coming in, right? So this is talking about and referencing in other, in other books, think about Daniel, where there's references to how God uses other nations to enact his judgment and his will. And just to show you not only the power of this army, but the power of God to be able to use people that will just do this. What will they do? Who execute his word. So just, again, little mental notes there to make sure that we're paying attention. So now, what is Joel's call this time? So now if we keep reading in chapter 2, it says that, He's going to, we're going to pick up in 15 and 16 here. It says, blow the trumpets in Zion and consecrate a fast. Well, this sounds very similar to last time. Call a solemn assembly. Gather the people. Consecrate the congregation. Assemble who? Here we go again. So guys, listen in. Assemble the elders, the children, even the nursing infants. Let the bridegroom leave his room and the bride her chamber. Joel is saying this is a big deal that is coming on us. We as a whole people need to be together to fast and cry out to the Lord. So it's the same thing he's asking, the same call that they have from responding to the locusts. He's asking here from this impending army as well. It's between the vestibule and the altar. Let the priest and the minister. So that's who's leading them. But remember, everyone is calling out. 
Spare your people, O Lord, and make the heritage not a reproach, a byword among the nations. Why should you say among the people, why should they say among the people, where is their God? So they realizing in here, this is a little bit unique. Like Joel never props up Israel, but as you read through, he also never lists fully or, or goes into and confronts them on any sin pattern in their life. Rather, what he does is several exhortations to be able to rally them together as a unified voice to call out to God. And that's what he's doing here again. He's saying, in the face of this impending army that's going to be way worse than the locusts, they'd ate out everything from underneath us. Here's the response I want you guys to have. Do you remember some of our starting notes for the minor prophets? One of them was like, where do you look for security? Right? So often Israel... When they had these foreign nations coming in, they would like find somebody else. They would like, oh, we're coming from the, they're coming from the south? I'm going to go knock on the door of the north and see if they'll come save us. Joel is saying, can you guys stop that? Come together all as a people and don't knock on somebody else's door, but cry out to the Lord together. So as they do that, here now is something that's it's just awesome. It's, so if we look just up to 2.12... Says, yet even now declares the Lord. So now, in the midst of this second day of the Lord that we're reading about in Joel, the Lord provides a response. Return to me with all of your heart, with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning. Here again is a, it's okay, it's a pat on the back for the Israelites. That's actually the steps that they are taking. This is half continued exhortation, half acknowledgement of what they are doing. And then this in 13, at the beginning of 13, is really it's just an impressive statement to me. It says, render your hearts and not your garments. God is doubling down on, there was, there was a verse in Hosea, it was 6.6, 6, but it says, and God was referencing what his desire was. He wasn't calling out for offerings. He was asking for their whole heart. And the same God is working through Joel and asking for the same thing. He wants, God's saying he wants their hearts and not their garments. And then when that return to the Lord happens, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and relenting over disaster. So now we weave backwards the response that God has had for the first day of the Lord. So we can now go back up to that one and look at it and say here it is, the Lord answered and said to his people, behold, I am sending grain, wine, and oil, and you will be satisfied, and I will make your reproach, I will no more make you a reproach amongst the nations. So God, in that first, in that plague of the locusts, he restores their food and the land itself. He mentions down here, you can read further in 24, or 20, verses 25, it talks about that God will even restore the years of famine that they were bought that had been brought. And then in the, so now that we've gone backwards kind of in that response, that restoration of food and land for the current day of the Lord, God will now address in this same section, he will speak to both of these at the same time. And he says, he will say this, and I will remove the northerner far from you. So now he's addressing what is the coming army, Right? And drive them into a parched and desolate land, his vanguard into the eastern sea and his rear guard into the western sea. The stench and foul smell of him will rise. 
for he has done great things. Now, that last statement is pretty neat to unpack. So, not only is God promising full restoration of the land and the nation now, right? But he is still acknowledging the great things that have been done. What, what has been done because of the threat of this impending army in Joel's exhortation? What has been done? What great thing has been done? A returning to him. They as a united people are crying out and fasting and focusing on their king, which is not an earthly king. And all of this works then and sets up at the close of chapter 2 and then into chapter 3, what is the ultimate day of the Lord? And that's the last one that we'll look at today. And it's introduced here at the end of chapter 2 with some very kind of like ominous, but also just like some awesome power to it. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. So this day of the Lord that we're looking at now gets like a qualifier, right? The great and awesome day of the Lord. I mean, it certainly sounds great. I don't know if like awesome in like awe, but I don't know if it's like the idea of the sun and the moon, that's just a big deal. Like awe, I think sometimes awesome too easily is like cool. That's more like, oh man, whoa. So that is the day, that's the ultimate day of the Lord that we are looking far forward now too. So if we continue reading from the end of chapter 2 into chapter 3. So this is 3-2. It says, I will gather all the nations and bring them down to the valley of Jehoshaphat, and I will enter into judgment with them there on behalf of my people and of my, and my heritage, because they have scattered them among the nations and, and divided them up into the land. So now... God is talking about what he is going to do during that. So the first, the, the imminent reference to the day of the Lord was what? It was what? It was an animal, it was an insect. Locusts, locusts. I'll take the mouthing. You can say it out loud. It's okay. All right. So that was the locust was the first one. The second one was what? A great army. Yeah, great and powerful army. Great because of what? Because they were carrying out his word. Right. So the third awesome great and awesome day of the Lord is the final judgment that God will bring upon all of the nations. So that is both the scenario that we are reading about and the full effect. All the nations are being brought before the Lord for judgment. And so let's keep reading. Okay. So now, what is the call this time? The call doesn't come from Joel this time. This is through him, but this is a direct address request from God. And it says, beat your plowshares into swords and your pruning hooks into spears. Let the weak say, I am a warrior. Hasten and come all you surrounding nations and gather yourselves there. Bring down your warriors, O Lord. Let's keep going. Put in the sickle for the harvest is ripe. Go in, tread for the winepress is full. The vats overflow for the evil is great. So now... What is being referenced is the fact that God is asking not just Israel now, but the address is to all the nations for obedience 
And in the, as we keep reading, in the second one, he's asking them to do things. He's asking them to enter into his service, right? So that's what he is closing with in this final or ultimate day of the Lord. The call, the request is to all the nations to submit in obedience and service to God. And then what this, I mean, this is just awesome. So now, and that lays out three, and the close of three speaks to, it's entitled, The Glorious Future of Judah. And I'll let you read that one on your own, because what I'd love to be able to close with and cover this morning is what happens back at the close of chapter two that I put a quick hold on as we, as we looked at the references in three. And it's this, the ultimate response are two things. The Lord's Spirit, it comes here in 2.28. So and it shall come to pass afterwards that I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and the old men shall share their dream, and young men will see visions. When we talk about, and this is the final day, right? The, the, the ultimate, I'm sorry, the ultimate day of the Lord. And we talked about the judgment was what was happening. Who is the judge? Anybody want to take it? God, come on, come on. Come on. There we go. Right. So, and this is awesome because what you have down on the bottom, it's already there. Your homework is to read through the end of Joel 2 and then move straight through and right into Acts 2. And understand because there's this awesome correlation where as we read Joel and Acts 2, does anybody know what happens in Acts 2? Two things happen. Yeah, Acts 2 is Pentecost. It's the coming of the Holy Spirit. And then there's a phenomenal sermon given. Phenomenal. In which case, the exhortation is this. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem, there shall be those who escape as the Lord has said. But among the survivors shall be those who the Lord calls. So we close Joel and our scenario in the multiple days of the Lord, all culminating in this awesome day of the Lord where all are called and the name of the Lord shall be saved. And I just really love and appreciate how as we look and, and we certainly understand the context of what Joel is talking about and the immediate audience of the Israelites, but understand how he weaves through the full heart of God to be able to speak to the calling of all nations, not just everyone in Israel, but all nations at the close of Joel. So consider that again, homework here. Read Joel 2, 28 through 32. And then go straight into Acts 2. So homework this week. Oh, love to hear about it next week. The other thing that I'd like to mention before I close that I actually wanted to say at the beginning, but I completely forgot, is please make sure, Chris did a great job during the announcements to highlight, but please make sure, so today, love to start as folks are comfortable or interested, love to start receiving those membership documents. If you have questions, we had a pretty cool Q&A time last week after service. If you have questions, continue to bring them and ask Dave and I. Still love to fill them. It's not like a one-and-done Q&A that you, we didn't get your question out there. We're not going to answer. It's like, oh, no, really. Love to keep getting questions. Please feel free to bring those membership affirmation sheets to Dave or I. 
Um, Dave and his family are away this week. They're enjoying the longer weekend, so I'd be happy to receive them uh, on behalf of the pastors. So let's go ahead and close, please. Dear Lord, I, I thank you for, God, a book like Joel that does some really awesome things in a really short time, God, the most of which is just to be able to talk about your power and capable hand and to understand, God, that, that you use people who will come to you and do your service, God. Both the army that we looked at in the end, God, and the call that you have upon all people at the end with, when the ultimate day of the Lord is upon us. And we do look forward with that with, with awe because of the, the capable and powerful hand that you have, God. And we, we ask that you, God, continually make yourself evident to us, God, and I ask for our hearts just to be, just to be plucked after, God, to be sought after you, to be obedient servants uh, of you. Amen.